Hello and welcome to Meet Him, the newest addition to Virtual Inforum. My name is Terry Barclay and I'm president and CEO of Inforum, a nonprofit whose work includes highlighting and supporting diversity in business leadership. The Meet Him podcast series introduces listeners to male leaders who share what they've learned about the value of diverse leadership in their companies and in their own leadership journeys. And I am just so excited that joining me today is Bradley Gayton, Chief Administrative Officer and General Counsel, Ford Motor Company. With nearly 30 years at Ford, he has served all over the world and now works directly with CEO Jim Hackett on some of the company's most critical challenges and opportunities. And we're catching Bradley you know, I think you had a pretty successful introduction yesterday of the new F-150. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we're all pretty excited to, to see that. So, so welcome, Bradley, and thank you so much for joining me today. Well, Terry, thank you so much uh, for having me, and thank you for all that you do. Um, it's really, really important work that your organization does, and I'm proud to be with you today. Uh, and yes, last Last night was really exciting with the launch of the uh, the new F-150. Really exciting times here. It 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 truly is. Um, so maybe maybe you'll have some insights about that. But we have a lot to talk about today. So let's get started with the first question. What are the challenges and opportunities that companies face in being more intentional about gender diversity? Mm, yeah, it's a it's a really really good question, Terry. Um, let me let me tell you how I think about um, about this. Um, you know, there there's such a need to um, have uh, an incredibly resolute focus, and this really shouldn't be any different than any other uh, business imperative that we have. And as business leaders, um, we know full well how to come together and rally um, around initiatives that are really important to our company's success. We know how to effectively manage cost. Uh, we know how to, how to launch incredibly complex products that are absolutely beautiful, like the yeah. other. <laughs> and, you know, Terry, this, this shouldn't be treated any differently. This issue is a business imperative uh, that should sit inside of a strategic framework that businesses are focused on um, with a absolute focus on winning. Uh, and so, and to me, that, that framework really, um, really comes together with, uh, with three prongs. First of all, how do you attend to inclusion, gender diversity uh, in your own company, your own department? And then, you know, when you have the privilege of working for a, a company like Ford Motor Company, what do you do with the opportunities you have when you engage suppliers and vendors um, that have to start a great company? And what, do you, what are you doing there to drive uh, diversity? And then the, the, third, the third prong for me, Terry, is really trying to attend to and nurture the pipeline. And so- um, Yes, the pipeline is so, so important. important, yes. <laughs> it, really, it really is. And depending on um, you know, where you are around the world, uh, your pipeline initiative may have to drop back to middle school, uh, high school, to really start to um, allow 
girls and women to imagine that they can be uh, the next software engineer. Um, you know, so it just depends on where you are. That pipeline program may have to even drop back to early education. You know, it's, um, uh, I had the opportunity to hear another Ford executive, Lisa Drake, um, talk about her journey. And uh, I, I think your that pipeline issue, well, all three of your points are very important. Um, it was it was interesting to me to learn that she, for example, um, began thinking that she was going to be a physician. When and and so she got interested. She didn't like chemistry, but she got interested in engineering <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in college. You know, but uh, it's interesting how when you attend and you create that sense of possibility, what an incredible impact it can have on on the choices that young women make. Yeah, that's um, it's just so true. Um, you know, and uh, it just reminds me too that um, you know when it does come time to thinking about um, who we hire, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's really you have to think too about different paths people take as well. And so, depending on again where you are in the world, if you're not having luck achieving. Um, gender diversity in your recruiting pool, um, really challenging yourself to be thoughtful about where you're recruiting from, the career mm. setting. Uh, and I have started to talk to um, my team internally and, and some of the vendors and law firms we work with about looking for alternative indicators of success as well. So yes, it's easy to go to some of the top schools and pick the top students by by the very definition of that, um, you're going to find very qualified candidates. But I say that the hard work of trying to make sure you have a really diverse pool of candidates uh, that you're going to interview can't be left to standardized tests or the admissions office of of, uh, some of the top schools. I think we're going to have to really think hard about the fact that not everybody has the same kind of opportunities. Not everybody's gonna take the same path, but that doesn't mean that their experiences um, in the path they took doesn't leave them qualified uh, to contribute to our organization. So looking for alternative indicators of success when you're not, um, when you're not finding that you have a diverse uh, pool to recruit from uh, is important. And then the other thing that, that uh, goes along with that is really insisting uh, in the hiring process before the first interview takes place. You know, really just being stubborn about um, insisting on a diverse pool of candidates before the race starts in terms of interviewing uh, will also ensure that um, we have a shot at then, you know, getting the gender diversity we really need. Those are just some really powerful points that you just made. And really, um, I love the concept of alternative indicators of success because sometimes it feels like when, if you just focus on the traditional indicators, you're really sort of ending up with a pool of candidates who are a reflection of sort of the privilege along the way that Mm -hmm. certain groups, um, it's just the culmination of that lifelong process. So 
What, what an interesting idea. And, you know, you're really kind of well into this next question. And this is the question that people are most curious about. What can a male ally do on a day-to-day basis to encourage and facilitate diversity? But you've just outlined a couple of really powerful things. Uh, so I don't know if you have anything more to add to that. But. Well, um, this, is, uh, this is a really important question. And um, the, the way I think about this is um, uh, we really need to be uh, allies in, uh, in lifting women up. Um, and encouraging them every day we're in the office. And, and so I think, think about this as um, almost sponsorship. Right? So mentorship um, is, is important, but sponsorship um, is, is even more important. Um, and so making sure that um, you know, we're, we're being thoughtful about women candidates who are, are being discussed for promotions and making sure that um, you know, we're adequately representing them and their strengths and um, uh, their qualifications for is really important. But sponsorship and advocacy, even outside of that sort of formal process where we might be considering candidates for, for interviews, it's the day-to-day uh, interactions where we could be making sure we're creating an inclusive environment um, so that uh, the women on our teams um, are, have a seat at the table. And, and then once they're there, just as importantly, once they're there, making sure that we're creating this sense of belonging. And so it's quite one thing to sort of be invited, but it's a very different thing, than, uh, thing to really sort of feel like you're a valued member of the team and that you belong. And as, as male allies, we can really contribute to that, that sense of inclusion and belonging. And it's really basic things like making sure you're pulling people into discussions. Um, it's being thoughtful about how we distribute assignments um, and being really intentional about the quality of those assignments and making sure those assignments are accretive to somebody's development. So those are just a, a couple of ways that I, I think that um, men can be allies. And, and then one of, my, one of my big pet peeves too is it's 2020, but um, you often are still find, find yourself in a room where um, sometimes the great suggestions of some of our, uh, our colleagues who are women that come forward, um, the meeting moves on, uh, and then the, the same comment or suggestion made by a man um, has the room pause in absolutely awe of the brilliance that's just been displayed. Um, but, but hang on, it was just mentioned five minutes ago by someone who's sitting next to me. And so we can do a good job of sort of um, calling that out as well and making the room pause and recognize that um, the brilliance that just was displayed was just repeated from a woman that just sat next to us. So there's things like that that we can be doing to... Um, to, to really be allies. I, I have to confess, I love that you called that specific kind of situation out because you're right, it is 2020. And, um, uh, you know, I've been, I have a person, I personally experienced that exact phenomenon on a board on which I serve last week. And I remember just being sort of taken aback by it. It's like, 
wow, this still happens. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> and it still happens in some pretty senior circles. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, you know, Bradley, I find myself wanting to ask you, um, how do you think that the levels of stress that our organizations, our companies have been under, um, how, how does that impact the, this, the ability of men to be allies? You know, does it, do you find that you can double, it provides an opportunity to sort of double down on inclusion? Or uh, do you have to fight harder to keep it at the forefront? That's a, it's an interesting question. It's, it's, um, uh, I guess as I reflect over the, the last several months, um, uh, it's, I've actually witnessed it become easier. And uh, here's why. I think as we move to, um, you know, some of the stresses associated with shelter in place and everybody working remotely, um, some of the positive leadership behaviors that got pushed to the forefront really were around creating an inclusive environment. So you were forced to come together through video and phone to try to keep the team together and check on the well-being and health of not only the individual team members, but the collective and, you know, was the team healthy and thriving? And uh, so it, it created, I think, more of an opportunity, even for the most introverted leaders to really lean into uh, creating more of an inclusive environment. So I do think it's, um, it's made that easier. I, I, do, I do wonder um, about the belonging piece of that though, because I, I've also observed that during this particular uh, time of crisis, uh, people are working longer days and um, they are uh, just just more sort of blurring of the lines between personal and work. And so um, as much as I think we have created a lot of inclusion, um, I think there's probably still more work to be done on the belonging piece of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so, belonging, gosh, belonging in some ways got harder, right, during yes. this, this yeah. time. So that's such yeah. an interesting distinction and I think an important one to focus on. Is there one characteristic that you think every leader should possess? Yeah, I think there's there's two that come to mind, but I'll, I'll try. <laughs> okay, you can say two. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it's um, I think that you have to have just an insatiable for knowledge and learning, and um, you know, I, I just uh, not just technical learning. We also have to be good at what we're doing technically, but just gaining uh, and learning new skills and engaging with people that uh, maybe you never would have before um, and just really sort of opening up the aperture of your mind to, to new things is so important. And, and I sort of think about that as, you know, learning with like um, this youthful exuberance, if you will. And it could be about uh, cooking. It could be about flying. It could be whatever it is. Um, that just gives you a different perspective than um, the work you're engaged in is, is really important. Uh, I think every leader needs to have that sort of just insatiable uh, appetite to learn. And then the, the other one I'll sneak in um, is, um, I think, you know, really being um, empathetic um, and, um, 
and, and really, really thinking of, uh, of your role as a leader is uh, being in service. Mm, I love that. <laughs> those, are two, those are two great ones to mention. And our next question is sort of maybe a little bit related. What, what advice would you give to someone going into a leadership position for the first time? Um, I, I, I think what I would, would say is um, it's important to, uh, to be humble. Uh, and it's incredibly important to be an active listener. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's also um, really important to um, stay grounded in whatever, whatever that means for you. Um, if it's family, if it's, if it's hobbies, but staying grounded in, um, in who you are is really important. Um, you know, I, I joke with my wife, um, you know, when I got promoted, uh, sometimes I would tell her funny thing happened today. Um, I all of a sudden became really funny, um, and really smart today. Um, <laughs> and of course... <laughs> Uh, of course, nothing had changed except the promotion. But, but for me, uh, my family, um, you know, keeps me keeps me grounded, and um, uh, and I focus on the fact that I am here to serve. Um, and so, again, with empathy and a focus on service, staying humble and listening are uh, sort of things I would encourage people to do as they become leaders. That's, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. You know, one of the themes that has emerged from this, um, because sometimes uh, our interviewees will talk about mistakes that they see leaders making, you know, what's a common mistake. And, um, you know, I think it it is related to forgetting to be humble. You know, it's where we move through the day and and uh, we're, we're in important roles and, um, so I'm glad to hear you have your wife who's uh, constantly reminding you that she knew you before you were famous. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so you've kind of been talking about this next one all along, but how do you continue to grow and develop as a leader? Any, any advice there? You know, uh, well, so for me, it is this um, this idea of uh, of learning, and um, it it takes it takes many different forms. Though um, I'm fortunate, I um, I work with colleagues who, despite the fact that they're incredibly busy, um, are happy to take time to uh, riff with me about um, my ideas, my musings. Um, uh, so, uh, and that, that's one way. Um, I have a, a colleague here who really is a rocket scientist. His name is Ken Washington. And I, at one point, was just reading a lot about quantum computing. Um, and, you know, I, I text Ken and call him on a Saturday, and he's happy to spend 40 minutes with me, sort of helping me understand quantum computing. <sighs> and so this is a case where... So it goes back to what I mentioned about sort of opening up the aperture of your mind and learning. So I'm the, I'm the company's lawyer, but I'm reading about quantum computing and trying to understand quantum computing. 
and then I have a colleague that I can call to sort of help me explore it a little bit more. Um, that's one. And the other thing I, I do is I like to, um, uh, to get, get outside perspectives um, and just go meet with smart people who are doing interesting things. And so when I'm traveling, maybe I'll be on the West Coast, I'll take time and stop by the Stanford Law School and, and talk to some professors who have written some interesting books on like a regulatory framework in the age of computing. Um, and I have yet to find anybody who isn't willing to just sit down and spend uh, 60 minutes uh, talking about their work. Um, people are incredibly gracious with their time and when you engage um, intellectually in trying to understand their work, um, they're, they're very generous. And so I, I do try to sort of get those outside perspectives when I can and um, that's just a, a way I try to stay you know, fresh and relevant. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, what great, <laughs> what great examples. I, I just, I just have to say that I don't know anyone. I would have to call you, but uh, I don't know who I would call if I wanted to learn about quantum computing on a Saturday. I mean, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that that's that's pretty impressive uh Bradley and I'm really so glad to hear that you do that I mean that's the kind of uh minds that we want leading our major companies that's just really awesome <laughs> so <laughs> what, what but what a great idea because you know all joking aside that is something that we all can do because we all know people who can help us expand our knowledge in areas that we don't know about. And it's, I find it such a confidence builder and just, just a motivator to get some perspective and inspiration and learn something completely new. I agree. Uh, yeah. You never know when that's going to come to play. I, I think sometimes the most interesting leaps are, when we connect the dots between really disparate things. I mean, it's, uh, um, it's interesting. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> we, we are now at our final question. Yeah. What, what podcast books, blogs, or, or do you have a favorite quote? I mean, what, um, what do you turn to for inspiration and perspective other than uh, stopping by Stanford and <laughs> um so i have to tell you i um i've become a bit hooked on ted um and that's a gift that uh that our ceo jim hackett has given me and so um uh, attending ted is um has just been a a way to just get rejuvenated um, and then, um, so listening to just different TED Talks is um, um, just been a source of that sort of um, energy for me. Uh, and, uh, and now they're just sort of pushed to my, my inbox. Um, and I'll, yeah, there is, um, there's one in particular, um, you asked me about a quote, um, uh, there is one that came from actually a, a TED talk, uh, and it was on um, how to get 
how to get serious about diversity and inclusion. And um, I think it was um, Janet Stovall. Um, but she said, um, the issue of how to get serious about diversity and inclusion, setting goals and um, being strategic about it. But the quote she said um, was, when you pray, move your feet. Thought that that was so powerful. Um, so it's just not enough that we hope for change, pray for change, but you pray, move your feet. Um, so what, that was a, a, a pretty powerful quote. Oh my, yes it is. What a wonderful uh, thought to leave us with. I'm going to have to think about that one. That's, uh, that's really great. And, and I have to tell you, um, it's a little bit of a theme that has emerged from these podcasts. It's, you know, is, is that call to action that it's not enough to think and ponder these things. You have to figure out, you know, what you're going to do. Um, what, what an inspiration. Um, Bradley, thank you so much for being generous with your time with us today and for joining us. Well, thank you so much. Um, and um, thank you again for all the great work you're doing. Well, that wraps up our podcast. Please come back to informmichigan.org for more opportunities to meet him and also meet her a podcast series featuring women of accomplishment, sharing their experiences and insights on leadership. And while you're there, check out the other virtual inform components, including a growing library of video tips, virtual leadership development programming, and even a series of virtual events. Thank you.